Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. In our show today, Bruno Reagan will join us. We will talk about Vanderbilt's loss to Florida and its upcoming game with Tennessee. The guest line is presented by Bull and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bull and Branch sheets could be until I got some. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spy-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients. He never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care. Thank you to Jody Jones DDS for making this season of the podcast possible. The news is presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in any type of accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help, and please tell me you heard about it on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Vanderbilt drops to 0-7 after a 38-17 loss to Florida. Good game for Ken Seals. He throws a pair of touchdowns to Chris Pierce, who also has an excellent game. Seals on the day was 22 of 34, two touchdowns, one pick, 319 yards. Pierce, four catches, 497 yards, and again, two scores. Bruno Reagan is with us again this week, as I think will become a regular feature here during football season. Bruno, thank you for joining us. I know you are away. You had to watch the game later on TV because of a martial arts competition. So tell the audience a bit about that, please. Yeah, so basically uh, what I do is I compete a lot. I'm I'm mostly a judo guy, which is like a very stand-up version of wrestling. It's a lot of throws. But since judo has been closed off, like judo season has closed off entirely. But BJJ, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is a lot of the groundwork stuff, which is where we grapple on the ground, that's opened up because it's more of a commercial market, so they need to have events in order to survive. Judo can survive without it, so I've been doing a lot of BJJ and stuff. So basically, I've traveled around the Southeast, which is the only place to host tournaments. I've been to Orlando, now I've been to Atlanta, and I just take a weekend and it's basically, you know, I get in at the venue at 6 a.m. and I don't leave till about 8 or 9 p.m. after fighting all day. And it's a good time. That's that's just that's sort of what I do in my off time. That's always who I've been. That's what I've done before football. And that's what I'll continue to do till I can't walk anymore. So now are you driving that or flying that? 
I flew Orlando. I thought about driving it. It was tw- it was about twelve hours, and then like two days before, I was like, nah, and I bought a plane ticket. But I if it's if it's within eight, I'll typically drive it. Which yeah. is which is scary. I mean, I, I I'm most of the guy who doesn't think about the consequences or the situation. I just kind of throw a smile on and try and do things. But right when I so I woke up at five about five thirty to leave Atlanta to come back. Uh, I guess it was yesterday. It just time got so warped. My, I had a flat tire. Someone poked a hole in my tire, and then when I got the tire fixed, I went to turn my car on, and my battery was dead. Like it's just one. So those are the type of things you can do that can happen when you drive. So just some things to take into consideration. Someone deliberately poked a hole in your tire. That's what the guy who repaired it said. He was like, "It looks like someone poked a hole in your tire." But I'm not gonna say like, I'm not gonna say someone did it. But it's just, it was just weird because it was, it was totally fine until the morning when I turned my car on and then I like, I noticed it like one side was totally flat. So I don't know what happened. Well, uh, the, the defense kind of threw a flat in the Florida yeah. game. Uh, but there were some good things to talk about there, starting with the offense. Now that you've watched it, give me your thoughts on what you saw. Yeah, I think we saw everywhere. Just We saw the constant improvement, and we saw a breakout game for – we saw a huge game for Ken Seals early. I mean, obviously it got tough later, and he has that he has that one pick, which was kind of in garbage time. But he, he had a huge game. The wide receivers played absolutely outstanding. I mean, Chris Pierce had an all-SEC all type day. You know, you don't get all SEC nods or SEC player of the week, really, if you lose, but he should get one. I mean, he was on top of it on blocking. Like, I couldn't keep my eyes off the guy playing because he was just poking out so much. Offensive line regressed a bit, but I saw that coming playing Florida. Florida just has some of the best athletes, and it's so hard to explain. But every time I've played Florida, those guys, whenever you go to block somebody, a lot of people I feel like play within their system. Now this is going to come back to bite Florida, right? I feel like a lot of people play in their system. For example, if I'm, if we're a six man front and we're running zone to left, I'm going to, and I'm a guard and I aim for that three techniques outside shoulder that typically like can set me up to block of a freak athlete because he has to hold that B gap. He can't come. He can't let me have that gap. So I know where he's going to go. Chris, sometimes these Florida guys just do their own thing and it becomes very frustrating to block. It creates big play potential for the offense. And this was consistent every single year. Like, it's just like, sometimes it feels like their defense just does things like you can't even prepare for. So I saw a little bit with, Oh, they, they, but they were based up well with our O-line. Our O-line just didn't play well. I mean, they only gave up, what, two sacks? Our O-line's done well at protecting Ken, and Ken played way better in terms of stepping up into, into the pocket this game. By far, his vision's – and once you get hit a few times, that's going to happen naturally. But I think they just – you know, they took a step back. There was a lot of pressure. Not sacks, but there was a lot of pressure in Ken's face, and the running game didn't didn't pick up like I wanted to. It might – you could say it might be because – Kenny Henry Brooks was out, but I think even if he was in, he would have struggled this game with how the line played. How much do you think the inability to protect Ken Seals influenced play calling? Because a lot of times I was watching and thinking, okay, you're going to need to get points now if you're going to have a shot. And then they go run, run right out of the gate on a few drives. They do that inside the 10. Uh, when they bring in Mike Wright, I, I thought they really messed that one up where they had a shot at a touchdown. But Everything doesn't mm-hmm. happen in a vacuum. You'd like to throw more, but you don't want to get your star quarterback killed either. How much do you suspect the amount that they ran, which was nearly 50-50, even though they weren't running the ball well, was influenced by the lack of being able to protect Ken Seals? I think I, I think normally 
it doesn't it sh- it doesn't affect. But in terms of when you're playing Florida against a Heisman candidate against a team you haven't beaten in 28 years, I can't speak for the coaches. But I as I once I graduated, I learned how coaches think, and sometimes that can be a factor in how they call plays. You know, they might be like. Like our guys are doing good, but they know they, they just, I think they just know where they're at, Chris, in terms of depth and stuff and how the game might turn out. And in certain situations, they're just like, you know, let's play conservative. Let's play safe. Let's keep Ken and go get this, you know, to them, let's go get this win. I think I already told the story when I, when we were about to play Alabama and I had these expectations for the O-line, like as the leader, I set these expectations and afterward I could visibly tell my coaches were like, you know, like, Oh, I don't know about that one. So I think coaches think a lot more like fans do than I give, than I used to give, give credit for. I think they should see it's the player's job to, you know, be the blind soldiers going in there and giving their all. But I think the coaches kind of can see it. And I think that's what influenced a little bit of the play calling there. I'm not saying the coaches take their cues from me because they certainly don't, but I wrote last week that I thought that holding Keon Henry Brooks out for the Florida game, if it was questionable, was the right move because he'd just been taking a beating. And I think you've got a shot to beat Tennessee next week. We'll get into that in a minute. So I thought that they did the right thing there, but man, they felt his absence. Javian Marlowe, and you know I'm president of the Javian Marlowe fan <laughs> club, just really disappointed me. I don't mean to pile on the kid here. Mm-hmm. He's been suspended. I guess he's had a rough year. But just a couple times I thought, man, there's a crease. He needs to hit it. And it's like there was one defender who could <laughs> could bring him down. It's like he ran straight to the guy on a few occasions. Derek Mason yeah. talked about the lack of effectiveness in the running game. And it wasn't too hard to figure out who he was calling out there. Yeah, I I think I saw a little bit of problems on the O-line, too. I saw a little bit of problems on the edge. Like, like we're running a lot of our zone read stuff, and that's why Ken tried to pull it. Ken pulled it, I think, once in the game because the DN was crashing. And a lot of our zone read stuff is just a fake. Like, it's not meant to be pulled. But I think they had to – I think Ken had to – either Ken made the call or someone made the call like, Ken, you got to pull it because these DNs were crashing on Javion, and it was sort of, like, forcing him to hit faster than maybe he – they practiced or something that was a little tidbit i noticed as far as the overall spec of the game yeah he didn't perform nearly as well obviously i think holding out kenyon henry books was was probably the right move this game um i know I, i'm not a big play to i'm not a play to lose or play for moral victories i'm not any of that and i think most people here know how i am but if when you're a coach it's different man and i think they have a real chance to beat tennessee so hold them out you know, get JV on some reps. And I, I think JV on gotten maybe like game reps once before this or something. So this was a chance for him to get some reps. Did he, did he do well? No, but they, this is a chance for them to, you know, get in there, watch the film. And this was a chance for the O-line to really pick it up. I mean, they're going up against a heck of an opponent, you know, can they will their, can they force their will on these guys? And they weren't able to get it done. So go watch the film, build up on something and uh, try and get this win against Tennessee. Okay, I think that Keon Henry Brooks is obviously their best back at this point. But am I crazy to think that Javion's the most talented runner they've got? No, I think I think there's always that scale of who's the best and who's the most talented right now. 
I think there's, I think that's a fair thing to, th- to say. Like Keon Henry Brooks might be the best right now, but because I, I'm also in the Javion Marlowe fan club, Chris. Like I saw the, I saw the kid practice play and the way he just carried himself, and I was always a big fan. I thought he was going to do big things here, but I mean that's kind of like how I was. Was I was like I, I knew I was not the most talented player, but I was like one of the top guys at the moment. Like Grant, Grant might be better than me right now than when I was, but when we were both there together. You know, I had some years on him, and I was better at the point. But that's just how it is. And that's, I think as fans and as coaches, you know, especially scouts, they see that stuff. You know, it's like this guy's playing better. But, dang, I can tell this guy can be a, a real ball player if he just – if he can just find it. Let's talk defense for a minute. They, they just can't make plays. They can't – Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I thought that they got some pressure at times. I thought, first of all, I thought that game was horribly officiated. Oh, it uh, was. Did you see? Uh, did you see the bump on Grant Miller? Speaking of Grant Miller, like Grant got called for a uh, what? I, it, it was a terribly officiated game, Chris. And I was thinking the whole time I'm watching Florida's O line block, and I'm just like, I would have gotten called for holding like ten times if I ever blocked like the way Florida was blocking that game, Grant like accidentally ran into a player, like barely bumped him, like, like a little tap and they like flagged him. And then the player like threw a punch at Grant and then they didn't flag. It was just a terrible, I had, you just sparked that rant inside of me, but go ahead, Chris, sorry to interrupt you. That was just, it was terribly officiated. Well, no, I think that's worth the sidebar at this point. There are other things to speak about, but, and this is the first time I've really noticed just some egregious calls. Okay, the first one, and I'm sitting there in the press box watching with binoculars, Andre Mintz. The play mm-hmm. before the touchdown throw to end the half, I'm watching Andre, and he splits two defenders. Now, I either one of two things happened, right? Either the gap was so narrow that he wasn't being held and he just couldn't get by, but when a guy starts to peek through on the other side of a defender – uh, there's usually no stopping a guy without holding. I saw Andre for a good second or two, even with the defenders trying to block him, but he couldn't get by. So I think that somebody or two somebody's had to have a hold of a jersey. And he had a beeline on Trask. Maybe he gets a sack. Maybe that drive ends differently. Instead, uh, they make a play, I think, and then they get the 39-yard touchdown on the next play. That was one. The Grant Miller play was another one because what happened, and I watched this a couple times, is the rushing end or whatever it was or or tackle, I think kind of bumped Ken after the play. And Grant just gave him a little bit of shove to say, hey, I saw that, hands off my quarterback. Well, Grant's walking away from the play, and the other guy just gives him a shove in the back. And then they throw the flag, and the penalty was on Grant Miller. Now, (laughs) worst-case scenario – that's offsetting personal fouls. Uh, I I just thought that was terrible. Um, a couple more. I thought the 39-yard touchdown on replay, I don't know how that wasn't overturned, but it was Oh, you're talking about when the ball hit the ground? Yeah. I was yeah, like, that oh, one. What the heck? And there was another one in there, too. They were, they were like, oh, I, I know what it was. And my brother pointed this out. I'd have to look up the rule. The Chris Pierce touchdown. The DB grabs him around the collar. Yeah, it was a horse collar. He yeah. got horse collared and like broke. He broke the horse collar just by sheer power. Right now, do you have to have? Is the definition of that? I always thought if you grabbed the jersey that was part of. Do you literally have to have your hand inside the shoulder pads? Maybe that was why they didn't call it. But 
I always assumed that uh, that if it was like the jersey part even up top there, like and you pulled down, it was a horse collar. But I guess I need to look up the rule too, Chris. I always thought in my head like if you grab around that area and like pull down like close to close to the collar, that counts as a horse collar because it does vir- virtually the same thing, even if it's just the jersey and not the actual pad. But I guess there's something to learn, or they messed it up. Okay, I'm reading this. This is according to Wikipedia. The horse collar tackle is an American football maneuver in which a defender tackles another player by grabbing the back collar or the back inside of an opponent's shoulder pads and pulling the ball carrier directly downward. Uh, If that's how the rule is written, uh, in fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna search this a little bit more. Inside collar of the shoulder pads or jersey. So that's the rule. I mean, because I watched it and thought, how in the world did they not call that? But they did not. Now, it did not affect the play. I guess it would have gone on the kickoff. Uh, but I just thought, yeah. I, I, I don't know how you could have watched that and not thrown a flag. Well, I mean, it made it look better for Chris. Let me tell you, that was a grown man play that man did. And I... I feel like Chris had always, Chris had always been, you know, on the verge of this breakout, on the verge of on the verge of it, and he got to show it today. Was it against? Was it against? You know, overcoming some adversity. Yeah, of course. And they're playing a good team, but he got it done. You know, and the, those horse collars. There's a reason it's a penalty, Chris. Like those things can mess you up. They can mess up your knees through the way your weight gets distributed. Like it's a bad deal. So when I saw him go down, I was like, uh oh, and he just rips it off. So. It is what it is. But, I mean, that's why these penalties are in place is to protect the players. But it's obvious the rest weren't there to protect the players. The rest were there to influence the game or just maybe sleepwalk through. I don't know. There, it was it was a very bad deal. Well, I have not thought really, for the most part, since the institution of replay, the calls, that just the egregiously bad calls, don't go against Vanderbilt the way they did before replay. I think that's helped Vanderbilt as much as any team in the league, probably because I, I watched games probably before you were born. Yeah. And you just saw stuff that happened that you couldn't believe. <laughs> I feel like the replay has sort of balanced the scales. And I generally don't feel like they get an unfair shake in officiating. And look, they were not going to win that game anyway. Let's be clear. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying the officiating influenced the outcome, but that was four plays I just watched. And I thought, how do you blow that? call or, or, or not call it or whatever the situation was. I mean, I'll just, I'll, never, I'll always point back to, you say replay is saved Vanderbilt, which just blows my mind because I've seen us get blown by the replay regardless. Like that Florida, that was, that was not a catch. And the guy who runs the, re, the guy who was like, you know, working the booth, talking to SEC Network about like replays, he was like, yeah, you know, this, he Gets on the mic, he's like, "Yeah, you know, this off the ball touches the ground. You can see it from this angle. This should be reversed." And then it, they start. Then they keep talking for like five minutes, and it comes back. I always point to 2015 against Missouri, where Kari Blasting game levels this guy and makes him fumble. Like he just hits him, makes him fumble, and it's clear as day. And they just, even after like a 30 minute review, they just give, they just say forward progress, so no fumble. When the hit was like, it was just an instantaneous hit and fumble. It just so. If Vanderbilt had trouble without replay, I could only imagine. It's, I don't know. I don't know, Chris. I don't know how it, how things get this bad because I hardly ever see it in other programs. Like, it's it's a known thing when we're on the sideline and something goes to review, we're just like, oh well, here we go. Let's let's see what they say. Well, I do remember the Missouri play. That's a really good point. That was one I couldn't understand. 
the other one, I'll tell you the one that I thought went in your favor was Ole Miss 2018, that weird play with A.J. Brown in the end zone. Yeah. Because that one could have been know. interpreted several ways, and the one way that went in your favor is the way that call went. Chris, that's a good point because as I was explaining those those ones that went against us, that was the one that popped up in my head. I was like, well, this one did go for us. Like Randall Haney, the whole Randall Haney, A.J. Brown thing. In my Like when I first saw it, and it's so hard for me because I have those black and gold goggles on. But, you know, I was like, oh, that's clearly like at least an incompletion, you know. But I guess that was one that because I watch I, I watch those 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 games that are close to me sometimes every now and then just to, you know, go back and smile. And I'm just I watch that play and I'm just like, dang, man, that might have like that might have should have gone the other way. So you're right. That is one play where it's just replay. And they were, did you listen to the broadcast, Chris? Because in the during that replay of the catch that Florida got, that Florida got the touchdown on, they were like they were discussing how the how the the box people, the review people, like will have meetings. They'll all get together and then they'll like take polls on what happens, like what's the ruling on a play. And apparently, it's just like all over the place. It's never agreed upon. So it's just kind of like, well, I guess replay is just kind of you know there. And it's for the fans to interpret on some of these close ones. No, I did watch the replay of that in the press box. Now, we don't have audio up there. We just get yeah. to see the replay without sound. Gotcha. And I've not gone back and watched the game again. On the TV copy, they were just basically talking about how the re- how the like review review officials will have annual meetings and they'll like go over like situations and try to you know they'll do little votes and see how rule things and apparently it's just it's never a consensus it's always a split it's always a split decision every single time so yeah i think there is every time you have one of those close ones it's a reminder of how humans just see things differently cuz some yeah. there are times that i'm the replay of, i i wouldn't want to be the replay official because nope Sometimes there's a really fine line between, you know, you think something happened, but is that enough evidence to overturn? And uh, th- that gets tricky because, you know, whatever you call, you're going to tick half the people off. Well, it just adds a it, it adds another layer of a human element to something where we're trying to remove the human element. It's it's it is an interesting thing. I mean, it works most. I think it, it does. It's overall a good thing. But it's just funny that sometimes it's just. That's why they call it a game of inches, man. It is just simply too close to call, and it has to go one way. So, But that Florida one, that was ridiculous. Speaking of Randall Haney, uh, he wasn't there again for the second week in a row. I guess he's done, too. Yeah, so with Randall, I mean, we've had, what, 30 players or so quit. I wouldn't see this as the end. You know, it's probably not going to stop until the season's over. Anyone who wants the season's over, there's going to be people, you know, leaving. I don't know if we'll get word on how or why. But it's not an excuse for this football team. It's not an excuse for the coaching staff. I see the the discourse that some media outlets are trying to say about the team. You know, well, it's, at least they're fighting hard. You know, I don't want Vanderbilt to be the place where at least we're doing this. At least, you know, it it, it seems demeaning to me. It's like, oh, they're cute. They're trying still. Like, I want Vanderbilt to be winners. I want these guys to be winners. So I want them to play and think even in this season like winners. I don't want them to give up excuses or anything. So no matter who leaves, you know, you just got to next man up and keep playing and don't settle for anything other than wins. You know, I don't like calling out people in the media uh, because we all make mistakes, right? And I'm not calling out mm-hmm. any one person in particular, but you nailed it. I, I think this, 
narrative that is developed about cute little Vandy is sort of demeaning. I mean, it is. You, you, Every you time I see them, Bruno, you listen to them talk, and if you didn't know any better, you would think that they started the football program from scratch this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, Chris, I like, I, so I'm a former Vandy player, and anytime I see, when I was playing there, we would get that all the time. We would walk out there, and people would be like, you know, dang, this Vandy team doesn't quit, or at least they fight hard. Like, dude. I don't need, like, I don't want your pity. I don't need your pity. I don't need any of that. I don't need, you know, I want people to rip on me. Like, we suck. I want people to rip on us. You know, I want people to, I want, I want people to, in the program to wake up and, you know, push and not settle for anything other than wins. I I just feel like the team gets treated like a baby sometimes, like the baby of the SEC. You know, I want that to eventually, I want that to eventually change. Well, I grew up again. I was going to games before you were even born, and so mm-hmm. I just remember the '80s and the '90s and the the 2000s. And you know, this would happen every year. Vanderbilt would play somebody as a 30 point underdog and make it a lot closer than anybody thought. And it would start all this talk about, oh, they're getting better, they're making progress, blah blah blah. No, you go to next year, and it's the same two and nine, three and eight over again. And so I've seen this movie play out time and time and time again. And I felt like in 08 when they went to a bowl and had been more competitive in the years before that, that talk finally started to go away. Uh, and, and then it started to kind of come back uh, pre-Franklin a little bit. And then Franklin has those three seasons, two top mm-hmm. 25 finishes in a six and seven bowl game with the six and seven team that I thought was better than that record. And then it seemed like the bar had been established somewhere else and man, six, seven years later, it has come right back to where it was. And again, I'm with you. I think if I'm a former player with some pride, I'm insulted by the way people talk about the program. Absolutely. I, I think that I think that most most alumni will follow the way or they feel the same way I feel. And it's I always talk about momentum in my articles, Chris. And uh you know, there's different types of momentum. There's game momentum, there's season momentum, and then there's like, there's program momentum and all the momentum James Franklin had and built up. Because when I went to Vanderbilt, when I signed and I was going in, you know, it meant, I was like, dang, I'm going to like a top 25 football and university. Like this is the, this is the top level of both worlds. And the bar, the, after that season, the bar, everything that took like four or five years to build, just flew to the ground and after that first season you know it was like it never happened and it out and all of a sudden I'm thrown in and it's like all right 19 year old Bruno let's fix it and I'm just like holy cow man you know so it's just that's that's how that's how hard that's how hard momentum can carry and that's how hard it can you can lose it you can lose it on all levels that fast I think you see that you know or all around the country this year, probably at Michigan and Penn state, the bar has been dropped. You know, how long or how, who's, who knows when it's going to get back to where you need. And with Vanderbilt, it's not where we need it to be right now either. I know you must get text messages from former players <laughs> on Saturdays. What do those things look like these days? They're, uh, they're not, they're not good. I mean, obviously it's mostly just like, I think everybody's waiting at this point that, because we're all fans. We're all just basically, you know, 
a little more informed fans. So basically however however the however your friends text each other as a fan, that's probably that's how we text and that's how I get texted. That's how we communicate about the program, man, because it sucks. And I mean we do feel for those guys like those players out there, like obviously the meat like I don't like it when the media says it, but they are playing hard, man. They are they do they are grinding for like basically nothing. They're sacrificing it all through, especially through this COVID season. Like they are doing what they can, man. And it sucks to see that. And I want them to be rewarded with a program that, you know, fights for them. What do I mean when I say fight for them? I don't mean hand them things on a silver platter. I mean, give them the tools to be successful and win. And Vanderbilt just does not do that. Do you guys feel like you have any power or influence as a whole no. as former players? No, no. Former players don't have any influence or power. I might have, I mean, I might have a little on the level of a coaching. Like, you know, I can go back. If, if Coach Norcross was still there, like I could go back and talk to him about some stuff, maybe, you know, where guys are at and just give my little opinion. But as far as like overall influence as former players, no, we don't, we don't really have any. I mean, it's just, once you become a former player, Chris, it is, unless you're J Matt who out there, who can go out there, you know, get a role with the program, which is a pretty good move as far as the rest of us. Not really. What did you make of the locker room flap? Oh, so I only been to that locker room once and I, I posted on the site about it. It's, it's as bad as expected. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want my guys in there at all either, which is like, you know, I saw one guy post and it was like, you know, it's a little way locker room. Like who cares? And for the most part, I'd agree. But at the same time, like my room shouldn't be bigger than, than our away locker room. Like that's pathetic, especially because these sec schools have like a hundred plus guys. Like sometimes you can only travel 70, I believe in the sec, but still you travel that many guys. It's, it's awful. So Hey, shout Dan Mullen might've done more for Vanderbilt facilities than who knows <laughs> the argument for them at least. So we'll see. You know, I guess the argument would be you don't need to treat the visitors really well, and you hear stories of locker rooms being painted pink and things like that. I'm going to give you a contrarian take here, okay? If the transfer rule in college football comes in where you get the one-time transfer, that's going to open the market up, A. B, a lot of these players become coaches later or they have kids down the line. You remember how you're treated in some places. If I'm Vanderbilt, I'm maybe making that a competitive edge if I can where other teams don't because you never know where you might reap the benefit of that later. Yeah. Well, I I don't know. I just look at it things like I just think I just always looked at it as sort of things in a standard, Chris. Like when you're a part of something, you know, there needs to be a standard. When we went to Notre Dame, you know, those away locker rooms, there was a standard, like, obviously we were the enemy, right? But we were, we were on a big stage and we were a part of the top program and there was a standard to our accommodations to go out there and play every single other sec school were properly accommodated to go out there and play. But when I have a spring scrimmage at Vanderbilt and there, and you know, I have to sit, I have to sit in our own away locker room. I'm just like, man, this sucks. Like, this is by far the worst. Like, I can't wait to go back. I'd rather just go out there and play 30 more minutes than just be huddled in a corner, you know? So I guess, I guess that's just my, my quick view on it without thinking about it too much. I mean, how bad is it? What does it look like in there? It, it was like my, 
redshirt freshman year, I believe last time I was in there, I think it was like, you know, just some terrible showers in a corner. Like I'm trying to give actual numbers so people can think of it. Maybe like six showers, like four, four little benches, like where it is awful. Cause I, have you seen our, our home locker room, Chris? I've been in there before. It's no great shakes. Yeah, it's no, that's, that's bad. That's a bad place too. It's like double as bad as that. So Oh, maybe I'll sneak. Maybe I'll sneak some people in there sometime because it is. It's an awful. It's an awful room. I have some ideas on what they could do with that space. Um, yeah, may- maybe find the people who are enemies of football and make them live in there for a week. There, there we <laughs> go. That's a that's a start. Um, yeah, I mean the optics of it were terrible, right? Because I've never yeah. seen that happen. Like, first of all, okay. I am watching in warm-ups. I'm trying to take note of who's there, who's not. And I look down on the Florida end. I'm like, these guys aren't in pads. That's really weird. Like, they are in their football pants. They all had black T-shirts on, and they had helmets. And they're going through the motions. And I'm thinking, I've never seen a team that's not in pads 40 minutes before the game. And, and then, of course, you find out later what happens. And then at halftime, they don't even go in the locker room. They are huddled underneath that corner uh, as, as we're looking from the press box, it's that far corner of the end zone. And they're just down there in the shade doing their thing. Um, and at halftime, I'm walking towards the restroom and all the Florida coaches. And that was another weird thing. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Well, I guess you have, I guess they go down, but like you see these Florida coaches, they're coming through the lobby of the press box. Let me give the visual to people who've never been in that press box, which is most of them. The media is in the middle, and the radio guys and the coaching staffs are on the ends. So, like, as I'm sitting in the press box, that's kind of in the middle. To my left is Steve Willard and the PA guys um, for for the football team. And then to the left of them is where the Vandy coaches are. There's another box to the left of them. And it's the same way on the other side where you've got radio and then the visiting coaches. So the visiting coaches at halftime are coming through – the lobby behind me, and they're going down to the field, except they walk through the stands, and then they cut across the field to be with the coaches that have. I don't, I'd never seen that before. Just the whole spectacle of that was just really weird. Yeah, I mean, it's it says something about our the state of our facilities, man. Like they're they are simply like we would rather just not even participate in your accommodations, which is that doesn't happen anywhere else, Chris. Like it's like they are, they are now they're fed up with what we're doing and they're demanding better kind of because that none of that should ever happen. Like the fact that it's even a talking point is ridiculous. So we'll see what happens with that. If anything, or, you know, maybe we'll put a plastic bag over our head and just act like we didn't see anything. So, no, I think you're right. I think that was a gift because you probably heard this too. Nothing ever gets changed until it goes public. I mean, they got really angry when the thing about the broken AC in the locker room got public. And, <laughs> and the kids heard about it from what I hear. You're laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, and they tell the kids, hey, keep, let's let's keep all this internally. Well, the kids know. I shouldn't say kids, players. They're, they're not kids. Mm-hmm. But they know that nothing gets changed until it gets a public airing. Um, yeah. And so, and, and then they feign concern and, oh, well, we'll, we'll get this fixed. I'm like, you guys are the same fools that have run the program for so long. 
if you were concerned about it, you would have fixed it before now. What they are concerned about is the public perception in CYA. Yeah. It's not providing for the players and the opponents and all that stuff. And I think that's a good that that's the only way anything at Vanderbilt ever gets addressed is it goes public and it creates some kind of of a stir or some kind of an embarrassment. Yeah, and if it's embarrassing, then you have to ask yourself, is it like, you know, why is it making national news? It's because it is embarrassing. With the AC stuff, listen, Chris, like, I truly believe the guys in the football program, like in the operations center, you know, they do care and they try their best, but it hinders, it, like, it, it threatens their security when we go, when a player or someone else goes behind their back to, like, reveal something like that. Because who knows, for all we know, they're like breaking their backs, trying like, hey, get us what we need, you know, fix these dang showers, you know, half of them are broken or whatever, but it just never gets done, you know, via McGugan, whatever, whatever goes on. And then it goes public and then they get, you know, scolded and then, you know, it's a multi-layered issue because I truly think those guys care. I mean, that's just my view on it. I, I love those guys. I love my family, but. Yeah, it's 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 and it's amazing how they get mad at stuff like that. Like like this thing with Dawn. Did you hear about that? Where like yeah. she she like messed up a little bit, but apparently she got like the the admin was like texting her like or just contacting her like in a very vitriolic way. So she mentioned it like these people were very like rude about it. And it's just what do you expect, you know? I don't yeah, know it's, what. it's not at the football level. I think you and I know that it's not the coaching yeah. staff and the support staff. It's higher than them. It's starting from the athletic director and above her head. And I, I don't think that she is blameless in this by any stretch. But mm-hmm. that's that, that they put the kids in a terrible spot where there's a lot of things going on with that program. You see the kids leaving left and right. You and I both know their problems. I think you and I both know what some of them are, and it's probably not stuff we can speak about on the podcast today, but you've seen some of it. You, you've seen they know how they're treated. It kills morale. And, and again, they're in a hard spot because they know it is not going to get addressed unless it goes public. But once it goes public, there come the threats and all those other things. And it's just a terrible spot to put people in. And that's why yeah. you see kids leaving the program because they're damned yep. if they do and damned if they don't. Yep. Basically, I mean, you nailed it, right? You nailed it right there. You just can't. You just feel like, and it's something that happens to everybody. You just feel like you can't win. I think, I think Coach Franklin really just, you know, tried his best on his end to take away that feeling of, listen, we're gonna, I'm gonna go to hell and back to get you guys this stuff. Now you better go to near death and back for me to for me to help win and you know skyrocket this program. And I guess the players, the because those those Franklin players, you talk to them, they felt like they had no excuse, man. He got them everything they needed, and they were out there to win. But I feel like right now it's just like it's Vanderbilt. It's such a hard thing to explain, but it is different. It is different than any other place. And you said it, Chris. That's why people are leaving in droves. They think the grass is going to be greener on the other side. And who knows? Maybe it is. Maybe it is. I didn't. I I wanted to try and do my best while I was there, but. We'll see. Well, the part that I think is damning is you guys know or have an idea of the value of that degree. And when kids that are getting close to graduation are leaving, what they're saying is essentially, okay, I know I could hang on a little longer and get this degree, but it's just not worth it anymore. Yeah. 
And that's that's crazy. Like a Vanderbilt degree is I mean, it's extreme. It's an extremely good security net to have, especially for a guy like me, Chris, a guy who wanted to play pro. And now I'm floating around, you know, I'm trying to figure out what to do in the back of like in the back of in the all things considered, if I really needed to, I can go work somewhere. It's not that big of a deal. Like I, I have a secure I have a security. That's a huge security thing behind my back that I didn't have to go into any debt for, but you're seeing kids literally give, give that up. And they know, they know the value of it. They know 100% because that's all Vanderbilt sells you on. And that's all they tell you about while you're there and stuff like that. Fun fact. That's also a little bit why the NFL like treats Vandy guys different. It's because, you know, it's like, Oh, do they really like football? I don't know if you've heard, heard of this phenomena, but you get that question all the time if you're a Vanderbilt guy. So Oh yeah, it's it's guilt by yeah. association. Yes, exactly. It's like, do you really love football? You know, you're you're a Vanderbilt guy. You know, and you know, we know how those Vanderbilt guys can be. Because there are some guys who come to Vandy and just you know, crew. And I've seen you can point those guys out all the time. You're like, what happened to this guy? He he was all this and never played. There are guys that come here and just you know, they they sign that they sign that dotted line. They're like, I did it. I made it. Boom, get the degree, and then they're out. But there are those other guys who are like they're ball players and they're like, I would rather give this up and try to maximize my opportunity in this once in a lifetime thing I have in this game of football. I would rather give up this top 15 education and degree for free, maybe even a master's to go somewhere else and maybe play, you know, so that, that, those are the t- things I try to explain to people when the state of the programs at. like that should speak volumes on how things are right now well and let me throw another thing at you look at how many kids came in from the outside this year and just (laughs) said screw it i mean steven spinellis did that uh danny clark did it uh or milstein did it now warren had his own reasons for sure but that to me is pretty striking too that when you have kids who transfer in have opportunity mac herford another one he's not with them anymore Kids are just coming in and looking at this saying, what the heck is going on? And they're just saying, I don't want any part of it. Yeah, well, that's the, these kids come from like Michigan and stuff, where even if you're the backup at Michigan, and, and it's not like they, you know, they come in from these big programs, and, you know, that doesn't make you ready to play. Like, you might not be the player you need to be right now, and you might have to work at it, and you might, but it adds a level of adversity to where it's like, Oh, you have to learn how to be a player and you have to survive in this, in this hectic, in this chaotic world of, you know, it feels like everyone's out to get you at that program or just being a part of it. It feels like everybody's out to get you media, you know, obviously you're in a tough conference, the athletic department sometimes. Um, (laughs) I remember one, like, I remember one time it's just, it's just such little things. And who knows? I remember one time, you know, I parked my car at a place where I, you can usually park your car. I get back from Georgia at three in the morning, got a bus ride and me and like 12 other players did this. And our, all of our cars got towed by the athletic department. It's just like, well, this sucks. So we were up to like 7am to do that. And then we go and we lift like after getting that. It's just the little things. I, I, Cause it's, it just doesn't make sense. Like it's like they're out to get us. Oh, I heard that story at the time. Oh, you did? <laughs> you, yeah, <laughs> that, your your that teammates. Oh, they they were not happy. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I probably took it the best out of the crew because you know I I was just so down about how the game turned out. You know, I just want to win these games, so everything else was kind of numb at that point. I remember I told my mom, I like my mom was like, "What's like? Are you home yet?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm in a tow truck. I'm in a tow cars company at like five. It was like four in the morning, and the sun was coming up." 
Well, that's right. You got that's you, you guys awful. literally got in from a game, and you come back, yeah. and you can't get in your car and go home because they've been towed. Yeah. Oh, and here's the thing: that is for sometimes that is a towaway spot. But what they'll do is they'll put bags on it to where it's tow. Way. but other than that you know it's free parking like we're supposed to be able to park there so what they did was we we parked there and this is such a small story but i guess i guess not because my teammates were mad and the of course the football guys were with, with us the whole way through you know obviously they didn't call the toke it was someone in mcgugan some administrator in mcgugan did it but um what so we parked there when we were allowed to and while we were gone at georgia they put the bags over it and then towed us like for no like basically for no reason so that's just, that's just one of the little things and it's and it's something like that like every 2 to 3 weeks or every month like that happens to a good group of guys on the team where it's just like you know it's just getting targeted out of nowhere yeah i i remember that at the time i did hear some some blowback about that one and just all sorts of stuff, but that was a bad, that was a bad, that was a bad weekend. You know, yeah. That, that's not the first time I've heard that story. Back. Right. Yeah. Uh, let's talk the UT game. I want to go mm-hmm. into it with you as a former player. That game really means a lot to you guys, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's our job to say it doesn't, but it does. So there's no other way around it. The game means a lot. It means more than other games. Does it mean more to kids like you who grew up in this state, or does it kind of mean a lot to everybody? Because let's face it, if you're a Vanderbilt player, you sort of get your nose shoved in it constantly. I mean, you walk down the street, you see more UT gear than you Mm -hmm. see Vandy gear probably. What is that like, you know, for you as the locals and then just for the other kids too who come in and just see it year after year? Yeah, I mean, I'll use Charles as an example. Charles, right, who, you know, from L.A., uh, Ladarius Wiley from LA, EJ, my old roommate from LA. These are guys that were like, they came in and they didn't know what Vanderbilt and Tennessee were. They did not, they literally did not know. But by the end of it, I mean, they hate them just as much as me. But as the local guy who grew up with it, I mean, especially for me, I had, per- I had my own little personal beef with Butch Jones. So it real, it was, I remember I was going, th- I woke up this morning and I looked at my Facebook memories and I had a little post, like it's personal before the 2016 game, <laughs> like going into 2016, Tennessee week. Like I, it did me a lot. Wait, you had a beef with Butch Jones. This I've not yeah. heard. Yeah, so basically I was being recruited by Vanderbilt and Tennessee on the tail end like last two weeks. And uh, I was at – so there's someone, on, there's someone on Tennessee staff who was a huge fan of mine. And uh, basically he had direct connection to, to Coach Jones. So I was at a wrestling tournament. I was at the Father Ryan Invitational, and I just run through everybody. You know, I look good. I'm a good athlete and all that. And he calls – he like calls me over. And he calls Coach Jones right in front of me. He's like, how have we not recruited this? Like, he was there. He went. He drove to Nashville to watch his son, like, wrestle or something. So he was like, how have we not recruited this guy? So Coach Jones calls me, like, five minutes later, didn't know I was listening. And then he offers me he, – he, he doesn't offer me a scholarship, but he, you know, he's like, come to, come to campus and we'll, you know, we'll talk things out. And I was like, okay. And then I never heard from him again after that. And then Vanderbilt offered me a week later, and I went to Vanderbilt. And that was sort of – he basically ghosted me. That was about that was about it with Bush Jones. Okay, so the 2016 game, you guys are home. Tennessee wins. It goes mm-hmm. to the Sugar Bowl. I'm watching that game, and I'm going, holy cow, what am I watching here? Because you guys are throwing the ball over the field. You have, I think, 608 yards in that game, which I think is – Still the most you've had in a couple of decades. I mean, what is going on with the offensive game plan and the flow of that game as you remember that one? 
play action took off. Uh, that was, I think that's what sprung it. We were, you know, doing our normal things. I remember we, we ran power, I believe early in the game to try and convert a fourth down and it didn't work out. So, you know, when it, things are just looking like not good, they're slow, like it's slowly climbing on their favor. And we just open up, we were running, running, running. And that option that opened up the play action game. You know, we hit nice ones to Trent. We hit a nice one to Caleb. And then all of a sudden our rushing game starts clicking. So now the rushing game starts clicking. They're like, okay, now we got to, you know, protect against the rush. And now, now that they're against the rush, now Kyle just goes all over the field. We spread them out. And after we spread them out at the end of the game, we just close We just start pounding them with the run. Like they pounding them, pounding them. And it, it was, I've watched that game more times than you can count. That was just a game where we all showed up as an offense and won. I don't know. And now here's the thing. I say it matters more, but I never play harder. Like, in any game than I do one another. Like I played just as hard that game as I did any other game ever, but you know, the result was different. We put up record numbers on offense. I wish we could have done it every week, but we just never could do it again. That game, our play action opened up our whole offense playbook and we just took off with it. Did Kyle Shermer get done wrong by Butch Jones too? Because that guy just <laughs> brought it every year against Tennessee. I have no idea. Yeah, I remember my senior year. So that was 2018, the 2018 game. Kyle was like 12 for 12, and he just threw another touchdown. And I look at him, and I'm like, man, why don't you do this all the time? I think I mentioned this story to you. I looked at him just on the field. I was like, man, why don't you do this all the time? And he, <laughs> he thought it was funny. But I don't know, man. We played Tennessee well. It's like, it's like Florida, except we win this game a lot. So maybe there's just something to it. Yeah, I'm looking this up. I think he's got the single game completion percentage record for that for the last game against 2018 game. Yeah. yeah, I mean he he like he didn't miss. Nope. It was crazy. And Kyle was not a guy that was like Danny Werfel accurate all the time either. It was just it was like that was the game of his life. I mean, Kyle was a good quarterback. Don't get me wrong. I always thought he was better than people knew, and I'm still yeah. a little surprised he's not playing in the league. But I mean, that was like. A couple standard deviations above what anybody thought he could do that day, I think. Yeah. Dude, I don't know. It was different for me, too. Like, that's why I had to say something to him on the field. I was like, dang. And it's not like he was doing anything out of the ordinary crazy. Like, it would just be a simple fake fake zone left, and he would roll out to the right, and Jerry Payne was wide open in the middle of the field. Maybe it's more of a Tennessee issue than it is us, you know? that's that's That might be what it is all the things in Tennessee just boil bad. And then at the end of the season, the bubble burst for them and we beat them. Yeah. He's got the all time record for completion percentage in the game. 88.6%. That one, I uh, guess who's number two, uh, by the way, you also played in this game. What? Yeah. I'm not kidding. Number two. Yeah. Johnny McCrary against Austin. P in 2015 is number two on the list. I did not know that. Yeah, I'd kind of forgot. That was the game where he had five touchdowns and Trent Sherfield went off. And, okay, it was Austin P. but. Um, yeah, that was my first game ever playing at all. No kidding. Mm-hmm. I got my first reps that game. Yeah, was that the game that school got hurt? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, he got hurt that year, didn't he? Oh, no, that the game he got hurt was Houston. Okay, okay. Well, anyway, you had a you you played in in the number one and number two completion percentage games all time, so you can throw that on your resume if you would. 
<laughs> you know, but my resume doesn't matter much anymore, Chris. Although with this XFL, who knows? But hey, your your resume I'll, matters on this podcast, so that's yeah, what matters. It, yeah, it does. It does. Well, seriously, let's talk about the matchup this week. I watched Tennessee play Auburn. I probably watched two thirds of that game. Yeah. Maybe a little bit. I caught more. it right before half. I caught it right before halftime. I think I just finished up and I drove to Mellow Mushroom in Atlanta and I sat down and um I was just watching and it wasn't as it wasn't that bad yet. But then I go back to the hotel room. Like I, I the game was the last thing on my mind. I was so beat up, I was hung I was just thinking food, go back, eat. And by the time I open back my phone back up, it's just the normal, you know, it's basically red alert in Tennessee. Like they're all like burn it, burn it all down. So I miss I miss the fun part apparently. Yeah, I have a contact in the media up there thinks that if Jeremy Pruitt loses this one, it could be the end for him. I don't think they will, but he would know better than I would. And I mean, it's getting bad because they've lost five in a row by double digits. That's never happened in the history of the program. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've lost eight once. And if they lose out, uh, they would tie the record for that. And it's only in 10 games. Of course, it's an SEC-only season. Uh, you know, you usually pick up a win, a freebie or two here or there, and you're out of conference schedule. But it sounds to me like he has lost control of at least some things. I don't know if he's lost control of all of it. Um, you know, that team has still got some talent. Uh, they have the 105-yard pick six or whatever that was that really changed the flow of that game. But that's kind of something that's an every week thing for them anymore. Is they make that one or two big mistakes where they're up going into halftime and then comes the third quarter and they just get buried under an avalanche of points against them. Yeah. I mean, we talk about you know, our program and how we don't get what we need. There's something wrong there. Cause I visited Tennessee multiple. I mean, they have everything, you know, money, facilities, you know, they're on, they were on campus heroes by the time I was there. Like I have no idea how that program can't get it together at all. And, um, and there's, I mean, the coach, I know I went against this point, but they look like a team that does not fight for their coach. I think that is a fair point to say. Like, it looks like they're a lot of those guys are just out there, you know. They're just happy to be out there. Or maybe they're not even happy to be out there, but they're just obligated to be out there, so they do it. That's what it looks like. How they, you know, how they're, I don't know how they still have this guy at quarterback. I hate dogging on players, but, you know, it was a clear, you know, there was no progress. It was always a clear issue, even a few years ago, and, I just see pictures of Trevor. I always see that picture of Trevor Lawrence in that Tennessee shirt. And I'm just like, how do these, this is, that's, that's the most Tennessee thing I've ever seen in my life that they just mess that up. I, Chris, I don't know. That's, that's a program that has 10 times more issues. I think than we do. Well, I say this all the time. If you can give me one thing in college sports, it's a good coach because good leadership mm-hmm. transcends everything. I would rather have, a great coach than great facilities. I mean, you need them both, yeah, right? Yeah, because you especially yeah. need the second to keep attracting the first. Mm-hmm. But James Franklin showed if you have good leadership, that just isn't going to, you know, take a take a bad answer for something the way that he did so many times, and it's just going to work and work and work and fight at the issues. You could yeah. overcome that. I mean, and that's why the whole. I don't mean to pile on Derek Mason here, but this whole 
thing of, well, nothing's going to change till they get facility. And maybe that's right, right? But it's like now all this has been ascribed to him as he's really this great coach and Vanderbilt just can't get out of its own way. Well, there's a lot of truth to that, but James showed, and Tim Corbin does too, that if you have elite coaching and leadership, and I think this goes uh, from an AD position too, you can overcome a lot of that. Um, yeah. you, you get that right, you'll get the facilities built uh, probably at one point, at least if it's from the AD chair and the president's chair. But I think that's Tennessee's problem. Um, you know, you've had the Haslam's have had so much influence there, and that thing has just been in a downward spiral for 15 years now. I mean, Butch Jones, I thought in, in 2016 was getting it right. I thought that Butch was a pretty competent coach, honestly. I thought he, that they, they did a lot of good things. He recruited well. And then you guys beat them in that game, and it just went down the toilet again. Yeah, it was he, – he built it on a house of cards, you know. As long as he, they were winning, people were going to be happy because, you know, they were winning. But the guy the guy had decent X's and O's. Not it, it wasn't great, but he had decent X's and O's. He had great recruiting classes. But I don't know how else to say it, Chris. That guy was a – to a lot of and I I had friends that played at Tennessee you know a lot of good friends and that guy just did not know how to inspire I guess you could say like in in the in the little things or the big things and you'd always hear stories like I think there was that one story where apparently he punched his player in the face or something and they tried to like cover that up but <laughs> it just the dumbest stories ever um yeah, so when you build when you build a program like that, and obviously you know he had the recruits, he had the talent, he had it rolling. But we talk about momentum, man. You know we caught them, we caught them slipping, and they were going to the Sugar Bowl that year. We caught them slipping one game, and that that literally did that program in forever, forever in terms of my career there. Like they were they were never going to get back to that level as long as I played there. Now they brought this new guy in and they're trying to do it all. And Tennessee's going to always have easy to recruit. I think if you're not winning at Tennessee, it probably is a coaching issue because they do They have everything you need to win there. If you can't win there, I don't, I don't know, especially if you're getting paid the money. I know those guys are so. Yeah. But to me, that's a little bit of a chicken or the egg thing. Was Butch a guy that was just going to come unglued anyway, because of his personality yeah, or was it, it all the pressure that made him crack? I mean, I that's what I wonder. Is like, is is was he a guy that like under more less of a fishbowl circumstance, everything doesn't start going haywire up there, and he's still the coach and he's still winning, or was it just that crazy no, outside gonna... stuff that that made it happen? I mean, you may have better insight on this than I do, but I I happen to wonder because Butch Jones has won everywhere he's been. Uh, now, you granted, those are Mac jobs and things, but I don't think the guy's a bad coach. I just think that for some reason it comes unglued, and you look at the environment. It, this has happened to everybody, man. It happened to Derek Dooley. Lane Kiffin had a circus up there for a year, and now it's happening to Pruitt. I mean, maybe maybe they picked the wrong guys in all those cases. I'm not saying that's not the case, but it just makes me wonder. Uh, well, I'll give maybe the counterpoint is Rick Barnes. I guess it's not as crazy for basketball, and Barnes is winning. Tennessee's a top ten yes. program in the country right they're, now, so maybe that's nice. your answer. But but I have to wonder. I think yeah, I think Coach Jones would have came undone. You know, they for any for all they could have won the Natty, and it would eventually have crashed. The thing with Coach Jones is listen, and this is all opinion. Like this is like not perfect. I can't give you any insight that anyone else has other than my personal dealings with with these guys. I also visited Coach Jones at Cincinnati. 
before it was my junior year, before he got hired at Tennessee, I was at Cincinnati. He was the coach there and they beat USF there. And then I was in the locker room, whatever, when he was, it looked like the, it looked like the players there liked him. I don't know if expectations or stress does things to people, but the Butch Jones at Cincinnati and the Butch Jones I saw at Tennessee were two totally different people. It really, like, it really did seem like that. And the way he was running Tennessee, I think it was going to unfold either way. I think Tennessee now, they just didn't address a lot of things at certain positions. And, I mean, now it's like, well, what do you expect, dum-dum? Like, yeah, your quarterback's going to be an issue. You don't have – like, you don't have one. You don't have they've, – they've tried, they've tried everybody on their roster. They don't have a single one. It reminds me a lot of Vanderbilt last year. Like, they're just like – they're basically just limping through the season just – hoping something happens if you're hoping something's going to save you it's not you have to actively work towards it and they just haven't done it at that position and that position is so crucial to your success as a team I mean that's just how I feel I want to run through your other two games where you beat Tennessee Uh, the first Mm -hmm. one or the other one we talked about 16 2017 you guys get off to that 3-0 start then Alabama comes to town and, and we know the rest of the story you know, you beat Western Kentucky, a bad Western team, but really you know, the wheels come off. You lose Alabama, Florida, Georgia, uh, Ole Miss, South Carolina, Kentucky, Missouri, uh, with Western thrown in there in the middle to snap a big losing streak otherwise. And then you go to Knoxville, you're both 0-7. Uh, Tennessee doesn't want to become the first eight-loss team in school history. Uh, neither team is playing well, and I don't think that one started well for you guys, but you just really – hit the accelerator and just ran away with that one in the second half. What do you remember about that game? Um, we went out there and it didn't go, like you said, it didn't go how we expected. I think we had a turnover early in the game uh, on their side of the field, I believe. But other than that, I mean, that was probably the least inspired we'd ever been for Tennessee. As far as the Tennessee week, it was still a very inspirational like week for us. I remember we just we stuck to our game plan, Chris, and that was all she wrote. Like, I think it was more who's gonna who was gonna crumble, you know, whoever whatever team made the first like few consecutive drastic mistakes was gonna was gonna lose that game. And then the same thing we ran we ran a lot of power that season, that twenty seventeen season, at the tail end of the season, which I wish we did earlier, but at the tail end we were running our power and we were just running down their throw. I think that was Ralph's last game, so he he had something to really, you know, he wanted to put a staple on that. We were playing for each other at that point, and there really was no other external factor. We weren't playing for a goal game or anything. We were just playing for bragging rights over Tennessee, and it seemed like they were just invisible that game. Like, I didn't – it was such a shell, and I've been in Neyland for a lot of games. I was there for when they beat – for when they beat Troy, I think, when I was in high school, and that it was packed then. Nobody – it was a – empty stadium that game the whole time just dead empty and we beat him beat him there it was very uninspiring from it was almost i almost felt bad for beating him. i was like dang man how far this place has fallen like that's it just seemed like a ghost town and they played like it was that one of those games where once you guys got the momentum it was obvious that you're gonna win that they yes. just kind of folded yes absolutely the and it that there are games like that like, for example, when we were up 21, 21, seven or three or whatever it was on Florida, my senior year, we, me and the guys were looking at each other like, this is going to be a battle to the to bitter end. We were up on Tennessee that game. We were like, well, these guys quit. It was very clear they quit. There was a bunch of NFL, like quote unquote NFL guys on their sideline that just, they did not dress that game. They probably faked an injury and because they, they think they're big shots and they were going to go to the league. Um, and Tennessee had some talent that season. They did, but. 
I think Shai Tuttle was out there playing it, and he's killing it for the Saints right now. So I, but they they just didn't have the they just didn't have whatever it took to win at the at that point in the season, even against us. Okay, your last game against them, 2018. You're a field goal favorite. You win that one, 38 to 13, uh, in just what was a mauling, especially from the second half on. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt's coaching that team now. Mm-hmm. By that point, uh, what do you remember about that one? I was a senior, Chris, and it was for us to go to a bowl game. And I had not played a winning season of football ever in my life. And I was like, I will be, I will die out here on this field before I lose. I let these guys take this moment away from me. It was our senior night. Um, And it wasn't like when you play, you can't play with too much emotion. You have to stay disciplined. So I was out there and I just, you know, I kept myself in the middle. You know, I didn't get too high on emotion. I didn't get too low on anything or too depressed when something bad happened. But nothing bad really happened. We went out there. We stuck to our game plan. Kyle goes crazy. And they it, it was it was the same exact thing as 2017, Chris. We took, we took the will out of them. And by, like, halfway through the third quarter, we were like, well, we're going bowling, baby. Let's, let's get this. Let's get this. And then game ended, and we were up by a lot. So I remember <laughs> – I'm uh, I'm walking to the press elevator after the game, and I'm I'm checking Twitter, and Keyshawn Vaughn has tweeted. <laughs> you remember this, don't you? Uh, he tweeted a power T with the middle finger next to it. I think that one got taken down pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we were always we. I don't know. For some reason about Tennessee week, like everything was off. Like we want to, when we win, we want to act like we've, we've been there and all that. Like if we ever beat Florida or something, you know, we wouldn't be tweeting after the game, but when it's Tennessee, like all no holds barred, everything's fair game to us. That's how we saw it. So uh, he obviously went back and deleted, but everyone was doing something stupid that like right afterwards it was it was a lot of fun those are such good memories to look back on well I think his came for a particular reason uh you know he got yeah, knocked out of the game yeah, pretty got... early and yeah. one of the shadiest looking things I've ever seen you know there's double numbers in college football and he and Ladarius Wiley now maybe this is just coincidence I don't know but I, I watch it and my eyes tell me not uh there's a play Oh, at some point in that game, I want to say the second quarter, there's a, a kickoff or a punt return where you guys get the ball around midfield. And this is like 10 or 15 yards behind the play. And I think after the play is over, somebody comes up and basically just earholes Ladarius Wiley. I mean, it was a good second or two after the play was over. Thinking they he was Keyshawn? Yeah, because they wore Doesn't the same number. Um, and I'm thinking me. that had a lot to do with that tweet afterwards. Yeah, people people think uh people think, you know, that college coaches are above all that or you know, they're at this level maybe that people are above all that. No, no. Behind closed doors, you know, I'm sure there's some guys that are like, Hey, if you can take him out, take him out. That's totally a true thing. Anything else on UT week before we go to the mailbag here. Um, as far as the overall, I mean, this is going to be a close game, Chris. I think like as offensively, they look, they, they look extremely similar. I think we have an edge on the pass game. They have an edge on the run game. They've scored more points. We have more yards, but I think our offense has been trending up. Their offense has been trending down. So I think the game's going to come down to our special teams and our defense. And we'll see if they, you know, if there's any, any game where they want to show up, this has got to be the one. 
Today's mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all your insurance needs. Give him a call today at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or at facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try and tell him you heard about it in his business on the podcast. Door King says, why has the defense been so abysmal under Derek Mason? Is it that his area of expertise? Is it poor recruiting or player development? I think for the most part, it's uh, it's it's most part the recruiting and then a little bit of the development. I just don't think they've developed guys. You know, they haven't de- they didn't recruit well. And then on top of that, you know, it's hard to develop when you don't recruit well. I think that was it. I think scheme wise, they do fine. I think they made adjustments to where I think they've done all the right things, you know, as coaches, except just the right guys haven't been in the system. That's about it. When we had Franklin's guys like Oren, Zach, Ryan White in the secondary, the D line, you know, we were solid. We we're Adam Butler. We were solid defense. We're we our defense was way better than our offense. And now the things have kind of shifted, you know, I just, it, it, our defense just doesn't look like an sec defense out there. And I think that just comes back to missing and recruiting. Yeah. I don't know that they have an sec starting caliber corner on that roster. Uh, safeties might be a different issue. Yeah. Brandon Harris has played well at times, but Man, their corners just can't cover. They can't make breaks on the ball or anything. Yeah, it's it doesn't look good. And it's when things aren't looking good, you know, you can because if you can't get a rush on it, then the quarterback has all day. And it's and I mean, it's tough for the secondary. So it's hard to just say, you know, this. But it when when it's all going bad, it's all going bad, and you have to call it what it is. There hasn't been a, a real bright spot on the defense besides maybe Dio, who is almost always on the play, but it, you know it's easy to kind of work around one player. Door King asks, "How can the offense outscore the balls? Play action is going to be the key here. They need Ken Seals to convert play action. They need positive yards on first and second down. You know, no TFLs, no penalties. This is not." You cannot just give up free things to that, that those things that kill drives. You need to stay ahead of the chains and you need to get to the red zone. If we get to the red zone, our red zone offense has trended so much that I think we, that we win this game, you know, it, and it, every time we play Tennessee, it's like, if we score, if the offense does what we need to do, because even when back in those years, when I was there, our defense wasn't the best either, but we were pretty confident as an offense going into it. Like as long as we just get, if we get the ball first and score, we can keep it up and we can win. And I think that's what they need to do. You know, try and if they could go up tempo again, like they did against Florida, stay ahead of the chains, do the things that they're good at. Don't go crazy. Maybe take a shot on a play action. Um, our screen game has been pretty abysmal this season. I like to see them get away from that, but cause it's too late, you know, work on it in the spring. That's, those are a few points that I think off the top of my head that they should take into the game. Bruno, we had a ton of stuff today. Was there anything worth going into that we didn't get to? Um, I don't think so. I think, uh, you know, this is obviously a highly anticipated game for, for Vanderbilt people, for me, for me and all my guys, we, we all look forward to this every year, UT hate week. So I think we've covered everything I wanted to in terms of the game, you know, reviewing where the season's at. And it's weird because this is supposed to be the last game of the season, but we have what, two more after this, we have Missouri and Georgia. who else? Georgia. Yeah. So, um, I just, Chris, I hope we pull out the win because there's nothing better than beating Tennessee. Bruno, give out your Twitter handle before we end the show today. 
Yep, my Twitter handle's at Bruno Reagan. If I'm not, you know, the only reason I would ever not be watching a Vanderbilt game is if I'm competing and my tournaments are done for the rest of the season and for pretty good, you know, for the foreseeable future. So I'll always be giving my insight on Twitter at Bruno Reagan, B-R-U-N-O-R-E-A-G-A-N. That's where I post most of my stuff um, outside of content on the site. Thank you, sir. Thank you. He's Bruno Reagan. I'm Chris Lee, the host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. We appreciate you listening. Should have a couple more episodes dropping later in the week, so be sure and watch for those.